This is the podcast for Woodland Presbyterian Church in Memphis, Tennessee. We are maturing God's people to serve a hurting world. We hope you enjoy the message, and if you'd like to learn more about our church, look us up at woodlandpres.org. Thanks so much. May the Lord bless you. I pray that as we are talking about prayer, that we're not just listening about prayer, but that we're becoming more prayerful, more in tune with who you are in your Holy Spirit, more connected to you through your son Jesus. So God, speak to us and give us the courage to respond in obedience to what it is you're saying to us about who we are and about what you've called us to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Well, we have a family practice at our house uh, because there's six people in the home. Everybody has their prayer night at dinner. So I'm Sunday nights, Brandy is Monday nights, Arden is Tuesday, so on and so forth. Uh, so everybody, whenever we sit down for dinner, it's like, what night is it? My night. So that, that way we, we, uh, everyone has their rhythm of prayer. But that leaves Saturday night that no one has. So that's just kind of a, whoever uh, is willing to do it. And you know, if you've had a big family dinner before, you know that it's not always like a peaceful meal where you sit and everything just is calm and uh, safe and relaxing, right? Because we have conversations about the food, about whether or not we like the food or we want the food, whether or not we agree on this vegetable or that vegetable. There's some tension sometimes related to that or who's helping this night to clean up or to whatever. It's not always peaceful, but it's always fun. It's always lively. It's always energetic. And on occasion, different people will, will volunteer to be a, uh, the prayer person. And uh, I remember one particular night, a while ago, probably four or five years ago, just it was one of those, like, we're trying to get everything done, we've been stressed out, we've probably been going to a game or whatever, and it was kind of, you know, just like figuring out dinner, let's get there. And I'm just like, ah, who wants to do the prayer tonight? And this night, Annie Karras just raised her hand. She was probably five or six at the time, and she offered to do the prayer. I got her permission this morning about telling the story. And I said, okay, go ahead, make, do the prayer. Because, you know, you're hungry, and you're like, kind of thinking, I hope it's not a long one. And I know that's bad because I'm encouraging all of us to pray more. And here I am saying, make it short because I'm hungry, right? That feeling, you know, you've had it. Uh, When the person starts out, oh, Lord. You're like, come on, we're we're hungry to eat. But so it was just one of those things where it was kind of tense. And she said, "Uh, dear Lord, we thank you for our table. We thank you for our rice. We thank you for our water. We thank you for our pork chop. We thank you for our family. Amen. It's such a sweet prayer. Thanks for the pork chop. But it was one of those prayers where I just thought, Lord, you just spoke to me through that prayer. It was what I I needed. I needed a, a little child to make an earnest prayer to remind me to be grateful for all that God has given to me. You know, there's a lot of things that happen in life that make us stressed out and burdened and concerned. But when, some, when we pray, God takes uh, some space in our life and, and reveals that, that he's at work. And even though there is difficulty, even though there's challenge, he is making room for us to remember who he is. And it's just a little bit of a blessing. You know, James is uh, encouraging us to pray. And, you know, one of the things when people talk about James, they, they, they like to say that James is a practical book of wisdom. 
because James gives us lots of insight on how to, to live the Christian life. He talks to us in the beginning of the book about wisdom. He talks about how to walk in obedience. He talks about how not to show partiality, how our faith should be expressed in our works, how we should even ask God to help us to tame our tongue. He gives us a lot of practical wisdom. And he, then he gives us at the end of the letter the most practical thing of all. He teaches us about prayer. Now the challenge for a lot of us is that we often don't think of prayer as something very practical. Maybe we think of it as spiritual or something that I ought to do, but I don't think it's practical. Instead of uh, sitting down quietly and just asking God to work in my situation, my tendency is to double down on effort. I need to work harder to accomplish more to get things done. Instead of simply praying that God will be at work in my interpersonal relationships at work or to accomplish his purposes through my career, I work harder and stay later instead of praying more. Instead of in the relationship where uh, there's brokenness and struggle because of a hurt that either happened to me or maybe that even I caused, I want to solve the problem by getting on the phone or talking about it with someone else instead of talking about it with the Lord. When I struggle with what to do with my health, instead of sitting down and asking God, I just try the next new thing that's come along. When we want to get people to come to church, we sit around and think more about what programs could we cultivate or create to get people to come to do what we're doing, instead of sitting down and just saying, God, you do what you want to do through us as a church in prayer. We tend to have that feeling. I tend to have that feeling. But the truth is, like James is telling us, is that prayer is very practical. When we pray, we're actually using our time in a wise manner. We're, we're listening to God and we're connecting to him. We're asking God to do the heavy lifting in the relational work, in the struggle of tension, in the world instead of relying upon our own effort to do it. When we're praying, we're believing that God is who he says he is, that he's actually sovereign over all matters, and that when we do what he commands, he will actually demonstrate his power. So the first thing that James speaks to us about is this, this moment of prayer. When should we pray? He says, is anyone suffering? Is anyone cheerful? Is anyone sick? This is when we should pray. In all of these cases, we are called to pray or we're called to pray for someone. We pray in the moment of suffering. Think about the word suffering. It means to endure hardships. It means to endure affliction or pain or sorrow. And, and every one of us has experienced pain and sorrow in this life. Maybe even this week, what's causing pain? Maybe you have physical pain in your life. It's a nagging injury. It's something that happened to you recently. It's something uh, that's just because you're getting to be a little bit older. Maybe you had a surgery or you had an accident or you've been ill. That physical pain limits our ability to be able to get around and do the things that we want to do. You can't do the exercise that you used to be able to do. You can't get out of bed as easily as you used to be able to get out of bed. Tying your shoes, just give me the slip-ons. All those things make our life harder, and it's 
frustrating. So there's suffering involved with that physical reality. So we can ask, James says, to pray. To pray about your physical problems. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that those physical problems are going to go away, but it means that God will be with you in your physical problems. What about emotional pain? You've been hurt. You feel passed over or left out. You feel discouraged or or you're sad. You're dealing with depression or isolation. No one really seems to understand. We've all felt those things at different various times this morning, (laughs) this week maybe, in life. We've all experienced emotional pain. And what does James say to do? He says to pray. Maybe you have financial pain. Everybody's feeling it. You know, we drove to Ohio and back and to Florida and back. I spent more money on gas in two weeks than I've ever spent on gas in my entire life. I got that card. I'm just like, 80 bucks, man. (laughs) Prices are going up. The money doesn't go as far as it used to. What's going to happen with our economy? I was talking this morning with someone. I was like, you know what? Gas prices came down. Well, that's good. But maybe it's because we're going into a recession. (laughs) That's bad. What does James say to do? Pray. Relational pain, arguments, fights, misunderstandings, harsh words, gossip, hurtful sayings. That pain causes difficulties in our relationships. James says to pray. Or maybe you see the suffering of others, the pain of injustice in the world where children die in a war or where communities are ripped apart by drugs or or the people that we live near and around are facing challenges that we can't even imagine that lead them to make decisions that just don't make sense to us. James says to pray. But why does he say that? What good does that do? James wants you to know that you can take your pain physical, emotional, relational, spiritual, to Jesus. You can take that pain to Jesus because God wants to be in relationship with you. He wants you to be close to him so that he can be with you in the pain that you're experiencing. He wants to remind you that that he has suffered for your sake so that you can know him. And so in prayer, we're reminded of all that Jesus went through to be with us. We're reminded that this God who created the heavens and the earth, all of the universe, allowed himself to suffer so that in part when we suffer, we'll know that someone's been there. He went through it and it was even worse. And he's not chosen to just say, you'll get over it. It'll be fine. He says, I'm coming to be with you as you face this reality. And when we spend time praying, that that, that, the reality that he's with us becomes more tangible and it becomes more real because we know that he's been through it as well. Another moment that that James talks about, a moment of prayer, is, is when something is good, when something is cheerful. It's been said that when you sing, you pray twice. So we've been praying a lot this morning. Thank you, Betty Sue, Jean, and Scott for leading us in worship. James says, when someone is cheerful, let him sing. The Psalms are songs of praise and prayer. And so we know the blessing of the Lord leads us to pray through the Psalms in prayer. So much that we have to be thankful for. Our table, our rice, our pork chop. The phrase, counting your blessings, is a way to pray. To just list what are the things that you can be grateful for. Our tendency is to limit that which we don't have. 
instead of celebrate all that we do have. Another moment of prayer is when we're sick. Every person, regardless of their wealth or race or education, will get sick at some point. Sickness is no respecter of persons, and it's part of this life on this side of the fall. This world that we live in, in is brokenness, is full of brokenness, and that's part of this life. And James says, when you're sick, call upon the elders to pray. We're to pray because the Lord is the Lord who brings healing. Does that mean he always heals our diseases in a miraculous way? No, but he can. Two times in my life that I know of, as a Christian, I have prayed and God has healed the person. Now, considering how many people I pray for, that's a pretty low percentage. And so if you're looking for great things to happen when Matt Miller comes to pray for you, who knows what the percentage is. You could be the third one, and I'll pray. Maybe that's a testimony to say it's not just pastors that can pray for healing and see people actually healed. But let me tell you about the people that were healed. It was a really big deal for them, and it was a powerful thing for me. That God literally brought that person to a place of physical healing. It's something that God can do. And, and, and we live in a, a culture that's been so shaped and formed by the scientific method, we kind of tend to dismiss that reality. But the global church doesn't dismiss that reality. They're praying for healing, seeing miraculous things. And maybe we don't pray enough about it because we don't believe it could happen. But maybe we should start praying about those kinds of things. James encourages us to pray. What are the markers, then, of prayer? We've had the moments. What are the markers? Who is supposed to, excuse me, the makers of prayer? Who is supposed to pray? Everyone's supposed to pray, of course. James uh, said, uh, who is suffering, he should pray. That means all of us, if we're all suffering. But James also says that there are other makers of prayer in a special sense, not a more important sense, but in a special sense, that are elders. Elders in the church are those who are called by God to shepherd God's people, to encourage them spiritually, to disciple them, to make sure that the church is a place where the gospel is being proclaimed and that people have the opportunity to hear about and to follow Jesus. And they're also called to pray. As a community, we've laid hands on elders to minister, and part of their service to the church is to pray. And our prayers are praying elders. Each time we meet as a session, we spend a lot of time praying, asking God, what are the concerns of our community? Sometimes we'll lift up all of our missionaries. Sometimes we'll lift up all of our students or our college students. Sometimes we'll pray for each other. Sometimes we'll pray for our uh, community groups or our, our flocks. Each elder has a group of families that they're called to intentionally pray for and to encourage, and we'll spend time praying for them. We're even reading a book this year on prayer called Disruptive Prayer, and it's changing our thinking about how and when we're called to pray. The elders are praying people. James says, let him call the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. That leads us to, to the method of prayer. What is the method of prayer? How are we to pray for one another? In this situation, the elders are to pray for healing, for hope, for intimacy with the Father, for trust in the Holy Spirit's power. James also invites them to pray with the anointing of oil. The command here is to pray, but anointing also accompanies this command. 
Why did they do that? Well, oil had a ceremonial and medicinal purpose in the lives of first century uh, followers of, of Jesus. Uh, and even in the Old Testament. Their use of it dated back to the Old Testament where it symbolized the Holy Spirit in some situations. And it was believed to have a cleansing power, spiritual and even physical. And some believe that James is saying not only are we to pray, but also to use all the medicinal procedures that we can. Now, since most of the other New Testament writers like Paul or Peter or Luke don't encourage oil anointing, we don't see this as normative, which means every prayer must be made with the anointing of oil. But that doesn't mean that we ought not to use this as part of our uh, prayer tool belt. The power is not in the oil. The power is not even in the person uh, praying. The power is in the name of the Lord to whom we pray. This is always fascinating. I've noticed this come up a lot when tragedies occur or difficult things happen and people will express it on their social media uh, feed. And I, you'll see people comment and say, I'm sending prayers to you. Um, and that, I don't think that's actually correct. Like if you're going through something difficult, I'm not sending prayers to you. I'm asking God, who is the only one who can actually do something about it. You're in the situation you can't do anything about it. I'm out here. I can't do anything about it. I'm not sending my prayers to you. I'm sending my prayers to God, who is actually the one who can do something about it. Because God is sovereign. He is over all things. He created everything. And that's the one to whom we pray. James says, pray and anoint in the name of the Lord. The power of prayer comes from God, and he's commanded us to do that. And so finally, then we come to the, to the mission of prayer. James says, And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he'll be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you might be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. That's a great verse. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. So we see this twofold work of the work of prayer. One is the prayer of faith that will save the one who is sick. God actually brings healing, miraculous healing to those who are sick. It's an amazing thing when it happens. The other mission of prayer is that our sins will be forgiven through prayer, which is probably even more significant because our greatest problem is not any disease that we'll face in this world. The greatest problem that we have is the disease of sin that has affected our hearts that could potentially lead to us being separated from God in this life and in the life to come. When we come to the Lord acknowledging our need of his healing power, we're acknowledging the reality that this is the ultimate cause of our sickness. It's, it's sin. No, we didn't bring an illness upon ourselves by some bad choice that we've made, although that can happen. We are heart-sick because of the sin that's entered into the world. And when we acknowledge that heart sickness, then and only then are we able to experience the free gift of grace that is ours to the person of Jesus Christ. And only then will we really gain the intimacy with the Father that we desire, that doesn't come from rituals, that comes from relationship that leads us into a rhythmic pattern of worship and renewal. That's when we gain the intimacy with the Father. That's when we experience his presence in the midst of our sickness, which is ultimately more valuable 
You know, if you read through uh, James or Paul, we think about the kind of prayers that they make. They're, they're, they're prayers, prayers for healing, but they're not usually praying for people to have different circumstances. They're praying that they would know the presence and the power of God in the midst of the circumstances that they're experiencing. And so often we're not satisfied or we're unhappy because we don't like how our life has turned out or the situation is working or how this process is going. And we want to say, well, if I could only get into a different situation, then I would be happier. But why not say, God, allow me to experience the joy of your presence in this situation that you have sovereignly put me in so that I can be a witness to your joy and to your beauty and to your grace in the midst of this. As hard as it is, let me see your presence at work. Let me be grateful to you for who you are in the midst of this situation. See, when we have that, we have everything. And we need more of that. I need more of that. Jesus then uh, commands, he says to the church, confess your sins to one another so that not only will you experience physical healing, but our relationships are healed as well. When we acknowledge to one another that we've sinned, our bond is strengthened, and we know that God is working in our midst. He says this verse that I, I referenced, the prayer of a righteous person has great power when it's working. Now, now what does that mean? Who, who is a righteous person? Who is a righteous person? Is a righteous person someone who's done really good things and has, has done more good things than bad things and is perceived to be a, a nice guy or a good Christian person? Is that a righteous person? Or is a righteous person a person who is sinful but redeemed by the blood of Jesus? See, any person in this room who has entrusted their lives, their past, their present, and their future to Jesus is a righteous person in that sense. That doesn't mean that we're perfect, that we're doing it right all the time, but it means that we've been made righteous by Jesus. And because of that, then our prayers, what does James say, have great power as they are working. Look, I know the feeling of praying about something for a long time and God not answering in the way that I would like him to answer. But James is saying that power has great power. That prayer has great power as it's working to keep making that prayer and others like it. See, anyone in Christ is a new creation and that person has the power to pray only if we would use this powerful weapon. We've got this tool belt full of weapons and we don't use them. James gives us an example of Elijah. He says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth, just like Memphis, Tennessee. But then it says, he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. Now, Elijah was a great prophet who prayed that it wouldn't rain for three and a half years, and it didn't. And when he prayed again, it did. Now, we, we might be thinking, oh, well, that was Elijah. He, he was a special person. And we don't have this kind of prayer. But James has just said to us, the, the, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Does God only hear the prayers of people who went to seminary? Say no, somebody. <laughs> no, somebody. No, because there weren't even seminaries until a few hundred years ago, right? I don't know when they first got going. Maybe it's a thousand years, whatever. There was a whole long time where there weren't seminaries. Where's the power of prayer? 
It's in your tool belt. It's sitting in these seats. It's watching online. It's, it's within you because God has given it to you. Right? None of us are righteous in and of our own selves, but Jesus has made us righteous, therefore Jesus has given us power. And so who among us doesn't want to see our world change? Who among us feels often helpless to be able to do anything about the difficulty that we experience or we see in this life? But God says to pray, that we would become a praying people. Do we want to see our lives change? Do we want to see our children grow and flourish? Do we want to see a just city? And we need to pray. And we should pray specifically for those things. Sometimes it's hard to know what to pray for. But here's what I want you to think about. I'm going to share a little story here. But I want you to think about this. What is something that I should be specifically praying for that only God can do? Something that only God can do. Like, I don't want you to say, Lord, please help me to get through my whole email box on Monday. Right? Because God could do it. He could blow up your computer for you. But something that only God can do. And it could be something that seems small to everybody else. Maybe it's, it's forgiveness that you need to extend to a person who hurt you. And nobody even knows about what the issue was. But it's been something that has been, you've been carrying it around for a long time. And it's really been hard to let go. And by forgiving the person, you're not, you're not saying that what happened didn't matter. You're just essentially turning them over to God. But it's been really tough for you to do that. Maybe it's, that's the prayer. Maybe you want to see this city change in the best ways. Where we don't have to donate uh, school supplies to a school. Where we don't have to, to see injustice happen. We don't have to hear about murders on the news. We want to see a kind of city where shalom envelops all of our community. And that's the that's only God can do that. Maybe it's something in between. What is that God asking you to specifically pray for? I just would encourage you to literally write it down on a piece of paper and walk out with it and put it somewhere every day where you'll see it. Write it down on a piece of paper and put it down. And be specific. Be specific. There's a story that I heard about um, Dallas Seminary, which was founded in 1924. And they were really facing some difficult times. Uh, they, uh, were about, uh, they were considering uh, bankruptcy. And so all the creditors were going to foreclose at noon on a particular day. And so the morning, as the story goes, uh, the founders of the school met in the president's office to pray that God would provide. And in that prayer meeting was a guy named Harry Ironside, who was the pastor of Moody Church in Chicago, and he was a visiting lecturer. And, um, and when it was his turn to pray, you know, he's in Texas, remember, he prayed in this uncharacteristically uh, uh, refreshing manner. Lord, we know that the cattle on a thousand hills are yours. So please sell some of them and send us the money. So while they were praying, a tall Texan came into the business office and said, I just sold two carloads of cattle in Fort Worth. I've been trying to make a business deal go through and it won't work. And I feel that God is compelling me to give this money to the seminary. I don't know if you need it or not, but here's the check. A secretary took the check and knowing something of the financial seriousness of the hour, went to the door of the prayer meeting and timidly tapped. When she finally got a response, Dr. Lewis Chafer took the check out of, the hand, out of her hand, and it was for the exact amount that they needed to deal with the debt. 
When he looked at the signature, he recognized the name of that cattle rancher. And so turning to Dr. Ironside said, Harry, God sold the cattle. What are you praying for specifically? What is going on in your life or this world that can only be solved, that can only be addressed in prayer? Maybe it's God actually fixing it the way you ask him to fix it. But maybe it's God working in you to get you to the place where you can come to terms with the way it is. What is it that God's asking you to pray for? You know, I heard a story about, uh, I think it was Michael Jordan, and it, it was about shooting basketballs. Who he's, he's pretty good at that, and how he shot a lot of the time. And he said, you miss every shot you don't take. You miss every shot you don't take. So if you play basketball, just shoot like crazy. It doesn't matter if you make any or not. No, that's not the point. The point is every prayer you don't make, every time you don't sit down and say, Lord, this is something that I can only trust you with, is God going to answer that prayer? God's going to do what he wants to do. And we're not the ones essentially telling God what to do. We're asking him to do in his word what he wants already to do, which is to create a just society, which is to work reconciliation and healing in all of our relationships. He wants that to happen. The question is, do we want it bad enough where we would stop working at it and start praying for it? What's your thing? What do you got written down? See some pencils working. Writing some stuff down. Because if you don't write it down, you're not going to pray for it. Guaranteed. Maybe once. Write it down and pray for it. And let's see God do it. Amen? Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this message from Woodland Presbyterian Church. Maturing God's people to serve a hurting world. Again, if you'd like to learn more about our congregation, please visit us at woodlandpres.org. Thank you very much, and God bless you today.